I love that last song. I just love from beginning to end to see the fact that Christ died on a cross for us. But the fact that he didn't stay dead means that we can have power over sin and power over death. But then beyond that, that this life that we're currently living isn't all that there is. Amen. We have a promise that one day uh, Christ is coming back. And for that, so very thankful. And um, the Bible says we never know when that's going to happen. The Bible actually says he's going to come like a thief in the night. Uh, so basically what that means is we just have to be ready. As believers, we know through a relationship with Jesus Christ, we're ready for that day. But we have to make sure that the people around us are ready. We have to make sure that our family members and people in our community, people we interact with on a daily basis, that whenever that day comes and Jesus comes back to get his church, that we've done everything we can to make sure people are ready. Uh, we had a great last month, was great, had missions month, had uh, different missionaries speak each each week, and it was exciting to hear what God is doing uh, just globally through our missions program here at Northside. Um, but I'll tell you what, I, it's been like three weeks since I've preached, and I, I'm ready to go. So um, it, was, it was nice to have a little bit of a break, but that was almost too long for me. So I'm ready to go, and I'm very excited about what we're talking about today. We're going to continue in 1 Corinthians, but it's going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles or your tablets or your phones, however you want to look at it, I encourage you to return there. You have your notes in your bulletin. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to talk about, over the next few weeks, the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Paul is going to address some of these things. He begins to talk about the body of Christ, and he's going to talk about spiritual gifts, and he's going to talk about everybody kind of pitching in and doing their share and doing their part. Um, but, but as I begin to think about the body of Christ this week, um, an illustration I used probably about three years ago came to my mind, and I wanted to pull it out. How many of you remember these when you were a kid? All right, Mr. Potato Head. This one looks pretty plain right now, right? This was like the coolest toy ever when I was a kid. Okay, I loved Mr. Potato Head. The cool thing about Mr. Potato Head is it's one body, right? But it's made up of many different parts. Okay, and Mr. Potato Head had a lot of different parts. Okay, let's see here if I can remember how to do this. He had, of course he has his hands, right? I don't know if you've ever noticed, but Mr. Potato Head, if you only put in certain parts, looks really creepy. Like, that just looks kind of creepy, doesn't it? Um, let's see here. His eyes. Now he just looks weird. And then, of course, he's got a nose. Now he's starting to look a little bit normal, okay? Kind of what we're used to, right? Of course, he has his ears. And then, of course, the big smile. Okay, maybe I should put the smile on first, okay? But <laughs> you get it, right? All right, that's just, that's kind of freaking me out. Let me fix that. So. There we go. Now, that looks like Mr. Potato Head, right? Here's the thing about Mr. Potato Head. One body, many parts. Okay? Now, each one of these parts is significant, okay? You take one part of Mr. Potato Head and he's not going to be able to function, okay? You take off his ears. 
and he can't hear, right? Okay? I know some of you women may think your husbands don't have ears, okay? But we do. It's just called selective hearing. But um, So that's what Mr. Potato Head is. He's one body, many parts. And Mr. Potato Head reminds me so much of the body of Christ. Because while the body of Christ is one body, it has made up of many different parts, Scripture tells us. So let's look at verse 12 through 16. This is just as one body, though one, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we are all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is made up, is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. First thing I want to point out to you, number one is this, you are important. You are important. You are important. You see, what was happening here in the book of 1 Corinthians uh, was kind of something very disjointed. What you see happening is you had some parts, some people feeling they were more superior than others, and you had others not feeling like they were as superior because they didn't have certain gifts or they lacked certain gifts. And, and Paul is saying, hold on, let me, because you remember the book of 1 Corinthians, it's a, it's a letter that Paul was writing to the church, and it's a letter, in many ways, a letter of rebuke, and it's a letter of correction. So he is correcting some of these issues that they're struggling with, and the first thing he wants to point out to them in these few verses is that you are important. And these verses for me personally are exciting because I love the fact that the church is made up of many different people. Okay, I love that. I love the fact that we're not all alike. Could you imagine if each and every one of us were exactly alike? Could you imagine how boring that would be? Some of you may think, well, I wish everybody was like me. But in all actuality, we, we don't. Diversity is, is really a beautiful thing. And I started to think, what it, just to make this personal, what, what if everybody in the church was just like me? If everybody was just like me, I know a couple things for sure. We all would love the Green Bay Packers. Okay? So come football season, it, football season, everybody would agree and everybody would get along. So that's, that's wonderful. Um, none of us would decorate our tree until about mid-December. Okay? None of us would like cold weather. Nobody would drink coffee. All right. How many of you are like, I'm out at this point, right? Everybody's like, I'm out at this point, okay? Nobody, but that's the thing. If we were all alike, it would be boring. But let's think of even just on a spiritual level. If we were all the same, if we all had the same gifts. We wouldn't, if everybody were just like me, we wouldn't have a music program. Because I have no musical ability whatsoever. <coughs> if everybody was just like me, we'd have a lot of people that want to preach. But we'd have no one to go downstairs and work with our kids. You see, so the diversity in the body of Christ is a beautiful thing. That's the beauty of the church. It's this diversity. And sometimes this church, as a church, we struggle with this because we want everyone to be just like us. We won't ever come out and say that, but we desire that everyone to be just like us. We want us everyone to be just the same social class, same economic standing. We want them to have the same struggles that we do because in our mind, sameness equals comfortability. If we're all the same, then we're comfortable. 
But you know, as you read through Scripture, you'll see that Jesus never promised that we would be comfortable. Jesus never promised comfortability for us. And I do believe this, if we want everyone to be the same and look the same, then many of us, when we get to heaven, will be very, very disappointed. You see, because the beauty of the church is its diversity. Just look at the 12 disciples. You have some that were, some were fishermen. One was a tax collector. One was a political zealot. Radically different, but Jesus chose each and every one of them for a purpose and for a reason. So I want you to do me a favor today. I want you to look at the person next to you and say you're different. It's okay. Some of our spouses were like, I've been waiting to say this without getting into trouble for a long, long time. Now I want you to look at the person next to you and say you're gifted. Some of you had a hard time saying that with a straight face, okay? Each of us, different but gifted. Each of us given certain gifts to advance the kingdom, given a certain gifts to advance the body of Christ, to, to make disciples. Now, I understand it's very easy for us to feel insignificant. When you walk into a crowd this size, it's very easy to feel insignificant. It's very easy to maybe feel like... You don't have much to offer. We all have those voices in our mind that try to tell us that we're insignificant. We all have those voices that try and defeat us. If I'm being honest, my voices are I'm not good enough. I'm going to fall. People aren't going to like me. We all have these voices that try to make us insignificant. And many times those voices scream insignificance, but I want you to catch this today. Jesus says, you are significant. You are important. You have a role to play in your relationship with Christ. If you are a disciple of Jesus, then your relationship with him is what gives you significance. The cross is what gives you significance. The cross is what shows you your worth. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. It's a great verse. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it says we are his handiwork. Another translation says we are his masterpiece. Now I want you to think about that for just a moment. It says that we are God's handiwork or we are his masterpiece. Okay, I know many times when I get up in the morning and I stumble out of bed with sore knees and a sore back and I get up and I stand in front of a mirror, many times I don't look and say, <laughs> I'm a masterpiece. <laughs> right? Okay, that's not something that goes through my mind. First thing in the morning. A few years back, I had an opportunity to go to the Grand Canyon. And I looked at the Grand Canyon, and I was in awe of God's creation. In awe of that. But you notice what this verse says? It doesn't say the Grand Canyon was God's masterpiece. It doesn't say the ocean was God's masterpiece. It doesn't say the creation of the world was his masterpiece. What does it say? It says, for we are God's handiwork, or we are God's masterpiece. What is a masterpiece for an artist? It's the greatest thing they've created, right? Okay, it's their greatest work. So God is saying, of all these things, you are my masterpiece. You're my handiwork. And he says, but I've created you, and I've created you for a job. 
I've created you for a purpose. You're not here by accident. We each have a job to do. So in other words, this verse tells us if we still have breath in our lungs, that means God is not finished with us yet. He still has something for us to do. He still has something for us to accomplish. Maybe it's as simple as just passing on wisdom to the next generation. But he has something for us to accomplish. Now, while many of us will retire from our vocations, we never retire from our faith. As long as we still have breath in our lungs, God still has something for us to do. Last week, or it was last maybe week and a half ago, and I'm opportunity to go see my grandmother again. And this is what, she, honestly, this is where she's struggling at. Because she longs to go and be with Jesus. And that's what she longs right now. She's longing for that. But for some reason, God is yet to take her home. And she's struggling with that. So I'm having these conversations with her. And I just told her, I said, Nana, it just means that God isn't finished with you here yet. He still has something for you to do. She's like, well, I don't know what it is. I was like, I don't either. I said, but maybe it's just a love on your family a little bit longer. But God has something for you to do. As long as we have breath in our lungs, he has a job for us to do. First Corinthians tells us, number one, we are important. Number two, we all have a job to do. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? So Paul uses this idea of our physical body and says, the foot can't say to the hand or the eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. <clears throat> so what Paul is saying, while our individual parts of our body, okay, our physical body, those individual parts are very important, okay? Each of us and the jobs that we have are very important to the body of Christ. Each of us has a role in the church that God desires for us to play. Each of us has a role today that God wants us to be a part of. And now we get this in many aspects of our life, right? When we go to our workplaces, we understand we have a job. Somebody else has a job and somebody else has. And maybe those all jobs look a little differently. Okay, maybe inside of your home, each person has a different job, okay? If you have kids, they each have different chores, right? And we understand that. We get that idea that each of us have different jobs, different roles to play, okay? Inside those avenues, whether it be our workplace or our home or in the community or whatever it may be. We grasp that. But inside the church, it's no different. We each have a job. We each have a role to play inside the church. I thought about Trunk or Treat this week. And all the different roles and all the different jobs that went involved to make Trunk or Treat happen. Okay, it was more than just getting 10 people to decorate trunks. Okay, there was setup that had to happen before then. There was more than just having somebody at a table in front and handing out people ballots to vote for trunks. There had to be someone to take those ballots. Okay, there had to be somebody inside opening doors for people, saying hello. There had to be somebody serving hot cocoa. They went through like 25 gallons of hot cocoa. It was insane. There had to be somebody doing chips and nachos and popcorn, all those things. But then at the end, we had to have people doing security. But then at the end, people had to clean up. Everybody came together and everybody had different parts. Everybody had different roles and nobody said, oh, my role's not that important. All, my, all I'm doing is just serving hot cocoa. I don't have a trunk, so it's not that big of a deal. 
Nobody said that. Everybody was like, I have a role. I have a part. I have a job. I want to do that, and let's all come together and make this event successful. And it works the same way inside of a church. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. This verse tells us this. You are gifted. God has given you gifts. He says each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. These gifts he's talking about as spiritual gifts. The moment that you accepted Christ as your Savior, God gave you some spiritual gifts. Some of you may be thinking, I have no idea what these gifts are. And that's okay. That's our job as a church to kind of help you discover those, what those gifts may be. Some of you may already know what your gifts are. But it says each of you were given gifts. And those gifts were given to serve the body, to serve others. Here's the thing that, that grabbed me about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts were always meant for the edification or the building up of the church body. Okay, if God has given you a spiritual gift, he's given you to use inside the church body to build up the body. If you're given the gift of encouragement, some of you in here are great encouragers. Some of you, that is just your, your lane, your wheelhouse. You love to encourage people. And those people, we love to be around, don't we? We love to be around those people because we walk away and we feel better about ourselves because they're just such great encouragers. But if you have the gift of encouragement, God has asked you to use that gift within the church. He says encourage people. Notice this. He doesn't say encourage yourself. You weren't given the gift of encouragement to encourage yourself. You weren't given the gift of encouragement to wake up in the morning like, hmm, I can do this today. I look good today. Look at my shoes. Look at the way the outfit is going on. I've got this today, right? We may have to tell ourselves that sometimes. But at the end of the day, that gift of encouragement was not meant to build us up. It was meant to build up others around us. So Peter tells us that whatever gift you have, use it to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I love that idea of faithful stewards. In other words, God has given you a gift, and he says you're to be a faithful steward of that gift. Okay, you are to use that gift. You are to exercise that gift. God didn't give you a gift just so you could say, I've been gifted. He gave you a gift. He's given you a job to do to exercise his grace in its various forms. Number three, you are not here by accident. You are not here by accident. Look at verse 18. It says, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Stop right there and think about that for a moment. It says, God has placed each of the individual parts in the body just as he wanted them to be. The moment you feel like you don't matter. The moment you feel like you don't have a place. The moment you feel like you're insignificant. Go back to verse 18. And understand that God has placed you exactly where he wants you to be. There's significance to that. There is worth to that. There is a fact that the God of the universe says, you know what? I want you right where you're at right now at this time. Because right where you're at right now at this time needs you. And needs the gifts that I've already given you. 
So he says he's placed them just as he wanted them to be. Look at verse 19. It says that they were all one part. Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. If you don't walk away with anything else today, please understand you are not here by chance. You are not here by accident. You did not walk in those doors today by accident. It wasn't by chance. It wasn't by fate that you decided to come and sit in the chair that you're sitting in today. God has a plan for you. If you don't catch anything else, catch that. You were not here by accident. And you're here because for two reasons. Number one, God knew you needed this church. God knew that. God knew that you needed Northside. For some rhyme or reason, you needed this church. God knew that. So he brought you here today. But number two, he knows this church needs you. Not only do you need this church, but this church needs you. Church just doesn't happen. Just doesn't happen by chance. There's a lot that goes into every week to make church happen. You are not here by accident. We do not serve a God of chance or a God of accidents or a God of mistakes. God looks at each and, one, each and every one of us. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our abilities. He knows our gifts. So he places us exactly where he desires us to be. I love Jeremiah chapter 29. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God has a plan and a purpose in your life. I know sometimes it's easy for us to feel purpose, purposeless, okay? Like we don't have a purpose, but you are not here by accident. God has a plan, and that plan involves the gifts and talents that he has given you. Remember, God has given you gifts and talents to be used within the church, and every ministry in the church is extremely important. From start to finish, every ministry that happens is extremely important, and they all affect one another. For many times, I've heard some people say, ah, what I do isn't that big of a deal. All I do is I come up on a Saturday morning and I just, I just run a vacuum. Nobody sees it. Here's the amazing thing. If I ask some of you, how many of you know who's a part of our cleaning ministry? Many of you probably wouldn't have a clue, right? Because they can show up on Saturday mornings and they clean our building. They show up on Thursdays and they clean that building over there. And they do that because they're like, we want this place to look nice when we have people come in, right? The worst thing in the world would be a dirty building, right? Could you imagine going to the bathrooms and the bathrooms being a mess? That wouldn't be a good thing. So Zita said, well, I said, I just clean. It's not that big of a deal. It's a huge deal. It impacts the way people view our church. It impacts the way people view how we take care of our facilities. Some of you may think, I just go downstairs and I hold babies once a month. It's not that big of a deal. Anybody could do that. But here's the crazy thing. The fact that you go downstairs and you hold a baby once a month, that baby that you're holding, you're giving that mom and that dad an opportunity to hear about Jesus. And I can't tell you how many people have left their child in our nursery downstairs and felt comfortable enough to leave their child in our nursery downstairs so they know someone's going to love on their kids and they've come upstairs and they've heard about Jesus and they accepted Christ for the first time. Why? Because somebody held their kid. Somebody loved on their kiddos. 
some of you may think, well, I just, I just pass out a bulletin. <laughs> I just stick bulletin in people's hands and I shake their hands and I say hello. And it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I'm not, I'm not preaching. I'm not delivering a message. But you know, most people decide whether they'll return to a church in the first five minutes. First five minutes, they walk through our doors. They decide whether or not they'll ever come back. Think about what happens in the first five minutes. Nothing that we do on stage happens in the first five minutes of somebody walking in the door. First five minutes of somebody walking in the door, what happens? They hopefully get, they walk in the doors. They look to find out where to take their kids. They look to maybe find where the bathrooms are at. They look to see if there's coffee. And then finally they find their way into the auditorium and they have the seat. All that happens within the first five minutes. So the fact that we had somebody there to smile at them and to greet them, the fact that we had someone to show them where the kids' ministry was at, the fact that we had coffee hot and ready and we had some snacks, and they come in and there's a clean facility that they walk into, they feel comfortable. I do know this, people will never be theologically aware unless they're environmentally comfortable. People have to be comfortable before they're going to begin to be theologically aware of what's going on around them. Every job that we have is so important. Whatever ministry God has given you, whatever talents, abilities, don't compare them to somebody else and say, well, I don't do that or I don't do this. All of them are vitally important to what happens every week, week in and week out at Northside. God has a very important role for you to fulfill at this church. Number four, we all need each other. Look at verse 25. Paul addresses division again. He says, so that there be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Our Christian life was never meant to be done alone or in isolation. It was never meant to be done without a church. That's why the local church is so important. It's important to have believers in your life. And as we come together as a church body, we're able to advance the kingdom of God. We're able to make disciples. But I have seen this over and over in church. When someone doesn't do their part, the whole body suffers. When someone doesn't do their part, the whole body suffers because we're all part of each other. We all need each other. When we decide we don't want to be involved or we don't want to be connected, what happens is the job still has to be done, right? The ministry still has to go on. Ministry still has to be done. So what happens then is somebody else says, okay, well, I'll do that. Even though I'm doing this, I'll do this too. And then somebody else doesn't feel significant or doesn't feel like their job's important, so they stop doing it. And that person says, okay, I know I'm doing this and I'm doing this, but I think I can do this too. And what happens is it puts a strain on the body. Could you imagine if just your hand tried to do everything? And then one day your hand was like, I'm done. I'm not working anymore. I am done. Feet have fun eating that cereal. That's going to put a strain on your body, isn't it? But it happens so often in churches where people say, ah. I don't feel appreciated, or I don't feel connected, or I don't feel apart, so I'm going to back away. Well, the issue is those ministries still have to happen. 
We still have to have people downstairs. We still have to have people to clean. We still have to have people to do music. We still have to have people to preach. We still have people to greet. So what happens is sometimes new people come in and say, yeah, I'll do that. That sounds great. But many times what happens is people who are already pulled in several different directions says, okay, I'll do that. I'll do this and I'll do that. And what happens for many people is sometimes people get burnt out. Sometimes they're burnt out because they're serving an area where they're just not gifted to serve in. They're serving an area that's just not for them. But sometimes they get burnt out because they're just simply doing too much. Our actions, our decisions not to be involved have ripple effects. It doesn't just affect us. We belong to each other. So when we choose not to fulfill the role God has uniquely gifted us for... It will affect the church and the church's effectiveness. When I was in high school, I played football. And I would love to tell you that I was the running back. And I scored all the touchdowns. But Amy about spit out her coffee when I said that on the front row. Thank you, Amy. I feel very encouraged today. Just so you know, Amy's gift is not the gift of encouragement, okay? So... Just kidding, I love you, Amy. But I played football in high school. My job, I was the offensive line. Okay? I played tackle. I played left tackle. I had one job. To protect the blind side of my QB. And then occasionally, they'd call a sweep. Where I'd get to pull out and I'd get to pull and I'd get to go hit some little bitty cornerback. And I loved that play. But my job was to block. I was to protect the guy with the ball. That was my job. And I don't know how many times our running back scored a touchdown or our quarterback threw for a touchdown. And their name was in the paper. And everybody's around them in the end zone celebrating. And here comes me just jogging off the field. Did my job week in and week out. Occasionally, the coach would throw me a bone and say, Whitley, it was a great block. Look at this play. That was a great block. But most of the time, not much applause was given the offensive line's way. But we had a job. But our offensive line coach would tell us this all the time. If you don't do your job, we don't score. If you fail to do your job, we don't get 10 yards. If you fail to do your job, we don't win a game. Your job, and our offensive line would tell us, your job may be the most important job on the team. But we all had a job. But had one of us decided we were going to take a playoff, that was going to affect the team. If I decided one play, I don't feel like blocking. My quarterback was going to get smashed. If I decided on that sweep play, the guard, if I decided I wasn't going to pull on that play, our running back wasn't going to have somebody out in front of him. We all had a job to do, a job to play. It works the same way within the church. A few next steps before we close out. Number one, discover your passion. What do you love to do? What are you naturally good at? 
Discover your passion. When it comes to serving within the church, discover your passion. Discover those gifts that God has given you that is unique to you. Maybe you may have an idea for a ministry in this church. This ministry doesn't already have, but you may be something you may be passionate about. Come talk to me. Maybe it's something we can start. Discover what you're passionate at. Number two, start somewhere. Many times we may not know what our gifts are. We may not even know what we're passionate about. So I encourage people to start somewhere. You may get involved with a ministry and see that ministry is just not for you. And that's okay. We can find another ministry for you to serve in. We do the same thing with our kids, don't we? When our kids are young, we put them in a lot of different activities to help them figure out what they like to do, right? My grandmother put me in piano. I did it for like two weeks and I was like, I'm never doing this again. Okay, it wasn't for me. They put me in soccer. I was like, it just seemed like a lot of pointless running. <laughs> they put me in baseball. First time I stepped to the plate, first pitch, home run. I was excited. I was like, this is my sport. Every pitch after that, I whiffed. I missed it. Played one year. I'm never playing baseball again. Then I found football. It's like, this is my sport. You got to start somewhere. Start somewhere. I have served in almost every ministry that a church has. And I found out in a couple things. Found out some things I'm not good at. I am not good at music. I know that. That is not my lane. That is not my gifting. But I found some things that I am good at. When I worked with the associate pastor in Illinois, one Sunday... The lady who was doing our children's, she came to me, she goes, can you do me a favor, please? Can you please work in our two and three-year-old class? I have nobody in there. They, the teacher's already there. They just need a helper. Can you go in that class? I was like, two and three-year-olds? No, thank you. <laughs> she was like, please, please, please. I said, sure. I went into that class. I never left that class after that Sunday. I loved it. I love two and three-year-olds. To be honest with you, I would do two and three-year-olds right now if I could. I love two and three-year-old kids. That is like one of my favorite age groups. I always loved my kids when they were that age. I loved having fun with them when they were that age. And then when I were able to do that in the class, I was just like, man, this is it. This is great. You got to start somewhere. I promise there's a ministry for everyone. I had someone tell me, I don't think there's a ministry for everyone because I don't like people. I don't like to be with people. I was like, what? I said, we have a cleaning ministry. You can clean by yourself. You don't have to be with people at all. Come try it. The only person you may see is me, and I promise I won't talk to you if you don't want me to. There's a ministry for everyone. Number three, ask someone to join you. If you're serving here at Northside, can I tell you this? Thank you. As your pastor, thank you for what you do. Whether it's running a vacuum, whether it's holding the door, whether it's greeting somebody, whether it's making coffee, whether it's up on the stage, whether it's downstairs in the nursery, in the kids' area, whether it's security, whatever you're doing, whether it's working with our teenagers, whether it's teaching a Sunday school class, whatever you're doing, thank you. But let me challenge you. Ask someone to join you. 
So I do know this, whatever ministry you're serving in, there's a good chance you could feel like, we could use a few more volunteers. Ask someone to join you. I found this out. Many people would be willing if they're just asked. They just have to be asked. Many of you are in a ministry right now because someone came up to you and asked you, hey, will you do this? Hey, I heard you have this gift. Will you do this? Will you come be a part of this? Just try it for one week. Ask someone to join you. But what if they say no, right? That's okay. Ask somebody else. You know how many times I've been told no in 20 years of church ministry? More than I can count. But I still ask because I know the more times I ask, the more chances of somebody saying yes is. Ask someone to join you. Would you bow your heads with me?